This podcast is Challenging Opinions and is presented by William Campbell. Thank you for downloading the Challenging Opinions podcast for February 3rd, 2020. Campaigners for various causes use all sorts of ways to bring about change. In this podcast, I'll talk to someone from an organization who targets the pockets, not the conscience, of corporations they think are misbehaving. Challenging Opinions is the podcast where ideas are tested. Whether you are left or right, conservative or progressive, devout or skeptic, what matters is the strength of your argument, not the strength of your voice. In a few minutes, we'll have this. Part of the idea behind our report was to identify what we consider to be the 100 most overpaid CEOs in the S&P 500, and then to look at Oh, who's how... number one? You have to tell us who's at the top of that list. <laughs> well, you know, there's a, there's a bunch that show up almost every year. Oracle is, is always up there. Um, Disney is very high. That's coming up shortly, but first I want to thank some people I really appreciate. That's all my donors on Patreon. Patreon is a system that allows people to donate a buck or two per podcast or per month, and that helps me to devote more time to research and to finding interesting guests. If you think that you could do the same as them, there's details on the website and at the end of the show. Her face looks at the camera in a way that's totally different to how teenagers take selfies now. There's no elaborate expression, but there is, for some reason, a hint of a smile. Maybe the instinct to smile when a camera is pointed overcomes her in the moment. But this is not a shareable moment. Her name is Cesuava Kvoka, and her photograph has been colourised but even in the black-and-white original, the uniform of Auschwitz-Birkenau is unmistakable. The colorization is by Brazilian artist Marina Amaral, and it brings to life a young person who died many years ago. Her face stares out at us across the decades. In one photograph she wears her camp-issued headscarf and looks up and to the side. She's pretty, but she is thin Her hair is roughly cut short. Her lip is cut. The photographer who takes her pictures later testifies that she has just been beaten by a guard. Later, when he's ordered to destroy them, the photographer risks his life to save some of the pictures, including those of Cesuava. She is deported to Auschwitz along with her mother in 1942. It's not clear why her family is Catholic, not Jewish, but her uniform has a red triangle alongside her prisoner number. That means political enemy, so it's possible that someone in her family is in some organisation that the Nazis dislike. She'd be 92 now if she had survived. She might still be alive. Lots of people live to be 92 or older but she does not survive. All that remain of her are those three photographs, now colourised, staring out from our new technology and our wondering of what she might make of this new world. 
She arrives in Auschwitz in December 1942. Some weeks later, in February 1943, someone decides that her life isn't worth reaching 92 or reaching one more day. They inject phenol, a poisonous acid, into her heart. She is 14 years old. Do you agree? Do you disagree? If you want your point of view heard, email podcast at challengingopinions.com and say what you think. On the line now, I have Rosanna Weaver. Rosanna is the program manager for executive compensation at an organization called asyousow.org. I guess, Rosanna, that name comes from the biblical quote, but can you tell me exactly what it is that asyousow.org does? Great. Well, asyousow has been around for a long time, and our basic uh, call, I guess, is uh, sustainability. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we try to promote sort of environmental and social corporate responsibility. And again, as you sow, social you reap. Um, we have spent too many decades uh, sowing seeds of destruction. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we're working from the shareholder perspective to try to address those because what shareholders need more than just a uh, decent stock price tomorrow is a, is a livable world. So we we work from that angle. Um, I don't know if you know anything about shareholder resolutions, but that is a piece of what we do mm-hmm. under the rules of the SEC, a company that's uh, you know in the U.S. Um, has shareholders who have a certain amount of stock have the ability to file a shareholder proposal, mm-hmm. and if it meets certain requirements, it can appear on the company's proxy statement. All the other shareholders can read it and vote on it. So that has been a really excellent instrument for change over the past several decades, actually. Uh, many corporations are fighting it right now, and there's actually an active uh, 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 rule change uh, being mm-hmm. considered at the SEC that's, that's deeply problematic. So you may have seen some notices about uh, writing letters on that and so forth. Okay, so to step back from that a little bit, you're obviously an advocacy organization. And do I get it right that essentially rather than going out on the streets and painting up uh, signs and marching and shouting, whatever, you're aiming for the pockets of large corporations and you're saying, hang on, these corporations have shareholders. We're going to try and convince those shareholders to use their power to change the way that the corporations work. Am I getting that right? That's that's exactly right. The shareholders often do have concerns about the you know the environmental future, and and we care about human rights and mm-hmm. all sorts of corporate decisions, and we want to make sure that our money is is spent wisely and to make the world a better place. Okay. So well, one thing that I wonder about that is that, and I couldn't find out who actually said the quote originally, but the quotation is: "The rational man maximizes profit." People buy shares mostly to make money. If you've got shares because, you know, you have a pension plan or because maybe you're just rich and you buy shares, you look at how much the return is. Do people really look at that much more? I I think they do. And I I think the other question is, are you looking for a short-term return? You know, that only matters if you're planning on trading the stock in two weeks or a month, you know. If what you're really doing is investing for the long-term, for your retirement, for the future – 
what you want is a stable and sustainable world. Um, now, often, in fact, the making money and the um, often often doing good often translates into doing well, right? Mm-hmm. Often, when you when you make the right choices, um, you are ultimately doing better financially, and and the inverse is also true. Uh, the case of coal is is particularly a very clear one. Um, a lot of folks at Social investing firms, SRIs, social responsibility investing people, uh, and some very good folks, advocates inside the shareholder community, mm-hmm. saw early that coal was not going to be a long-term uh, wise investment. Uh, the folks that left early did much better than the folks who held coal all the way you know, to the bottom for many oh, companies. Okay, so what you're, you're essentially doing there is you're getting at perhaps second-order firms that are firms that invest in other firms and saying, hang on a second, let's not invest in coal anymore because that's obviously very polluting and producing large amounts of carbon, which contributes to climate change. Right. That's meaning that those people don't invest in coal, but surely someone else is going to come along. That money is right. going to be, isn't going to be left on the table, is it? No, not at all. And and actually, most of what we do is there are a lot of good folks working on straight-out divestment. I was really just sort of using that as an example. Mm-hmm. Um, but we tend to work more with, with companies uh, and, and, you know, help identify where we think there could be a change that is, is both – would both contribute to a better bottom line mm-hmm. and contribute to uh, a more sustainable future. I'm sure, you know, you're – doing a lot of good work and you are promoting the good causes as you see it. But isn't it kind of unfair that to expect shareholders who are often, you know, just ordinary people, isn't it kind of unfair to expect them to do the work that really regulators should be tasked with? Uh-huh. You know, they're just individual people. They're not necessarily experts in the different areas that you might be campaigning on. I guess they have a relatively short attention span and they are definitely not, you know, they're not being paid to do, do the type of regulatory work that government regulators do. Is it really appropriate? Oh, oh absolutely. I mean, there, there's a role for everybody, uh, in, in making the world a better place. Uh, absolutely, we think regulation should be very different than it is today. And, you know, we'll hope that that happens in the future. But there will always be ways of, of improving on a company-by-company basis. Mm-hmm. And shareholders, you know, are, are one of many stakeholders that that might have insight to share with the company about, about what it can do to improve. Isn't there a danger then that causes that are most important to rich people will be prioritized? Mm, interesting question. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of talk about that in terms of how uh, money is, is given in terms of charities and so forth, and that's been a big issue. You know, we have not seen that. I mean, a lot of a lot of the investors, a lot of the ownership right now is not by individuals. It's by institutional investors. It is most often uh, people again, like you talked about, either in their individual retirement accounts or a Mm -hmm. pension fund or a company 401k. And one of the things that's interesting in that is if you are in a broadly diversified holdings, if you're holding an S&P 500, you know, Mm -hmm. um, index fund, whether, whether 
Coke does a little bit better than Pepsi is not as much your interest as that that both companies do well, right? If you if you gain a little bit on Coke and lose a little bit on Pepsi, you haven't made money. You know, you you're you're in an index fund. So what you're really working really concerned about is is sort of the the longer term. Uh, broader look at the, just, just for at listeners the who might not understand that an index fund would be something like a pension that somebody else just automatically buys a spread of shares right across the market and you'd be likely exactly. to have shares both in Coca-Cola and Pepsi for example exactly both BlackRock and Vanguard uh, have grown tremendously over the past several years and own about between five and ten percent of most companies in the S&P 500 each mm-hmm. so they they play a very big role. Then I want to move on because you are the program manager for what's called executive compensation, which basically uh-huh. means the pay for the, the, the 1%, the people who are really at the top of large companies. And right. well, first of all, what are you trying to achieve? What are you campaigning on? So after Dodd-Frank, after the financial collapse, mm-hmm. there was a a rule adopted that shareholders for the first time get to vote on executive compensation. I think it was in about 2011 that the vote uh, first went into effect. And a lot of shareholders were not quite sure how to respond. Um, CEO pay had gone up and up and up while, you know, far, far out of proportion to the way either the stock performed and, and much further out of proportion to the employees' uh, salaries. Mm-hmm. And the... Um, so when this was first, you know, instituted, a lot of, you know, public pension funds and BlackRock and a lot of different folks were just sort of like, well, we, you know, we don't know, and, and mostly voted in favor of the compensation. Mm-hmm. So part of the idea behind our report was to identify what we consider to be the 100 most overpaid CEOs in the S&P 500, and then to look at how... Oh, who's how- number one? You have to tell us who's at the top of that list. <laughs> Well, you know, there's a there's a bunch that show up almost every year. Oracle is is always up there. Um, Disney is very high. Uh, Regeneron. The CEO, the CEO of Disney is paid about seventy million dollars a year. Am I right? Oh, something like that. I, you know, I don't have that at my fingertips, but it's it's a, again extraordinarily. He's basically um, winning a Powerball every year. <laughs> yes, several, several Powerballs. Um, and um, and one of the things that we look at, too, is this is another sort of new piece of data that's come out, is what's called the pay ratio, mm-hmm. which is between the CEO's pay and the average employee pay. Mm-hmm. Um, I know last year, just found this now, um, the Disney CEO was paid 1,424 times what the median employee was paid. That's not even that much of the bottom that's of the guy in the middle that's of the guy in the middle right so you know we talked about this with walmart too like it's it's also over i think it's like 1100 there and and if you break it down and you think okay that's 10 guys working 100 years right or 100 guys working 10 years to Mm -hmm. make what the ceo makes in one year and and you really begin to see how distorted the the value is sure that that's that's really distorted but why do we care if a private company that's owned, you know, privately thinks it's in its financial interest to pay this guy several Powerballs a year, then let them do that. If they go out of business, they go out of business, somebody else takes over that market. 
Well, and, and you know, for a private company, that is possibly, you know, a perspective to take. But these are all public companies. These are companies that have asked sure, but I, no, I, mean, I mean private as it is a private concern in the sense that it's not part of the state. If their products are overpriced, people can choose not to buy them. It's not something that anybody has to engage with if they don't want to. So there are a number of ways that, you know, this contributes to income inequality and income inequality. Mm-hmm. Uh, it tracks a lot of very, very bad factors. But again, I'm going to go back to saying these these companies make a choice to have access to public capital. And there are companies that are, in fact, you know, private companies. But if a company issues stock to the public mm-hmm. and shareholders buy it, pension pension funds, the biggest pension fund in the United States is is CalPERS, which is the California Public Employees Retirement System. Mm-hmm. If if they own some of this company, then they have a right and, in fact, they have a responsibility to to vote, right? It's, you know, people talk about corporate governance. It's it's really governance. It's do do you vote, do you participate, or do you, you know, stay home when it's election day? Um, and that is the... Uh, you know, there's a lot of discussion of the problem of the commons and so forth. Mm-hmm. This helps bring the what we want to do. What what a lot of people are trying to do is is step forward and and take on that that uh, fiduciary responsibility to really weigh in and pay attention to these details. Okay, and I think that particular campaign is a little bit different to the rest of what As You So dot org does because typically you might expect the companies to come under pressure from people like you to spend money when they don't want to spend money, to spend money on (laughs) environmental protections, to spend money on making sure that they're not sourcing from uh, from suppliers in other countries who are abusing human rights and so forth. But in this case, you're putting pressure on them to not spend money and to keep it in their pocket when they when they perhaps want to spend it. But I'm just wondering, because... (laughs) Interesting perspective. uh, Yes, indeed. But one thing I'm wondering is that they clearly are making a decision as to whether they want to pay $70 million to to their CEO. But do you have any insight as to whether that's doing them any good? Is there any correlation between these extremely high CEO salaries and the performance of the company? There are a number of studies that suggest that just the opposite is true. Uh, that, And in fact, when we looked at our report, we've been on this six years, um, I think it was three years ago, we decided to see how the companies we determined to be overpaid the first year, how they performed since then, and they had vastly underperformed the S&P 500. Um, there's all sorts of you know possibilities for why this might be true, but there's really uh, no sense that pay and performance it, the pay is predictive of, of better performance in the future. So, so wait, um, what, wait, what, wait, wait. You say that pay is not predictive of better performance, but did I, did I hear you say there that pay is predictive of worse performance? In in the specific set of companies we looked at, that was the case. Yes. Have uh, you any idea what the? That's pretty shocking. But have you any idea of yeah. what the, the the mechanism is there? Is it somebody who's like spending his whole day trying to get his pay packet increased rather than actually doing his job? Or you, I say well, his, that, I it's mean, almost always his. True. 
That that could be. It could be. It could be. There are a lot of um, investors actually who look at compensation also as a potential red flag. If you see, if you see certain practices that seem to be pointing towards you know getting as much as you can before it collapses, that's not a good sign for for shareholders. What you're saying there is that some people with inside knowledge, maybe they know that the company isn't going nearly as well as they're letting on. So they're trying to essentially fill their boots while the going That's, is good. That is one theory. That is one theory. And the other, you know, the other thing I want to touch on is how, how their compensation can incentivize certain behaviors. And I think the one to look at here is, is Boeing. Um, mm-hmm. They're, uh, if you read their proxy statements the past several years, it was all about our executives de- deserve a lot of money because we pushed this plane, we got it approved, we built more and more of them. And of course, now what comes out is that the push to emphasize speed over safety has completely backfired. It's had a real cost for shareholders, but it's had a much more tragic cost on human life. And so then you have to go back and think what you're, you're referring to the seven seven four seven max seven thirty seven uh, max yeah, yeah seven three seven max yeah. which which yeah. seems to have been wrongly approved and was involved in a number of incidents, including two crashes where everybody on board was killed. Yes, and and you know they uh, released some of the emails, and some of them are public, and you know have been reported on. But you you read these employees saying to each other, "Would you get on that plane? I wouldn't get on that plane." And you think, my God, so what kind of corporate culture do you have? Um, Has the compensation structure played into a corporate culture where people are unwilling to raise concerns or, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. slow things down if they need to be slowed down? So, I mean, that is the the example I think a lot about these days. there was before the. Can, can I give you? Can I give you one other example? But it comes from the world of yeah. fiction. I have to say, uh, I don't know if you've seen the uh, the Netflix series Orange Is the New Black, but in the later series, ah. it 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 concentrates on the private prison company that has taken over the oh, prison, and mm-hmm. and at one point, the uh, one executive says to a more junior executive that they need to have something that, and the quote is, you must move the needle in this quarter. In other Uh words, no matter what, the company has to show more profit within a couple of months. Is your opinion that perhaps that's storing up, that that's happening often and it's storing up big problems down the line that cost more down the line, but by then the executive has moved on to a different executive job and they don't care? I mean, that is the concern. There was in the mortgage crisis in the, um, uh, one of the things that came out was an acronym IBGYBG. Mm-hmm. And what that stood for was basically when, basically when the shit hits the fan, when it all falls apart, I'll mm-hmm. be gone, you'll be gone. Oh, okay. So, you know, it is not, and, and, uh, that was in the congressional report. And, you know, that is, again, it's, it's, it's not just bad for shareholders. It's it's a larger ill for society as a whole. Um, we need people to be focused on, uh, you know, a longer term um, for climate and for so many other reasons as well. Finally, one thing that I just want to ask broadly on the way that as you so is working, do you think that you're running to stand still? Do you think that in the years that you've been campaigning, that companies on the whole has get be- have got better? Is it, it strikes me that in some cases their behavior is getting an awful lot worse. And I see like new companies that 
didn't exist 15 years ago, like Facebook, involved in huge mm-hmm. ethical and legal right. violations. Are you having any real success? We are. We're Because we tend to be working on different sorts of issues, I mean, I agree very much. Some of those large companies to come out of Silicon Valley have, have been deeply problematic. But, for example, and I, I think you should have uh, Conrad McCarran from our, our Plastics and Recyclables program on because he has a very positive story to tell about, mm-hmm. you know, conversations that have really moved remarkably. Um, and, and it was, again, a situation where it ended up being good for the company too. If they can, if they can, uh, you know, pay for less packaging, that's to their advantage. If he can work with them to think of solutions, so we've we've seen a lot of companies move on that, and and generally sort of moving towards being green uh, to some extent, um, and uh, lowering their energy mm-hmm. outputs and so forth. So yes, we, we've definitely seen some very positive things. Um, also, another uh, campaign that I think has been very good is is urging companies to use less antibiotics in, in chickens in particular, chickens and pigs. So mm-hmm. uh, we have a health campaign that, you know, over the years has filed shareholder resolutions for many, I mean, you know, even for decades. Um, so we have people that have been involved in lots of different components. Um, now, again, I'm, I'm the newest program, the CEO pay program. Mm-hmm. What we have mm-hmm. seen is shareholders getting more involved, and, and it has made a difference. The, the CEO of Disney has looks like his pay is down a little bit for next year. It's still ridiculous, but it's a little bit less than it was last year. Um, and we're also seeing shareholders voting against pay more often. CalPERS, which I mentioned earlier, has really revamped their voting on pay and votes against about half of the packages now. And that you know, really sends a message that shareholders are tired of these excessive pay packages that cannot be justified and, and are ready to take a stand against them. Rosanna Weaver, Program Manager for Executive Compensation at AsYouSow.org. Thank you very much for talking to me. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Never miss a show. Follow at Challenging O on Twitter and like Challenging Opinions on Facebook for updates on each show's contents. Go to the website for sources and links to what we were talking about. And while you're there, please like the show on Facebook, follow at Challenging O on Twitter, and follow Rosanna Weaver at Landis Weaver. And get in touch with me if you can suggest a guest or a topic for a future show. And thanks to everyone who has signed up as a patron on Patreon so far. I really appreciate them helping me to devote more time to researching topics and guests. And if you could do the same as them and donate a buck or two per podcast or per month, go to patreon.com slash challenging opinions, or you'll find a link on the website. Also, you can find out how to subscribe to the podcast for free on your computer, on your phone, or by email. It's all at www.challengingopinions.com. The Challenging Opinions podcast is produced and presented by me, William Campbell. Thank you for listening.